Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Thursday, January 5th, 2017 edition. Thank you very much for tuning into the program today, and I do want to jump right into it because this is a really important topic, and I've been wanting to cover it for a while. Very interesting teaching. I think you'll find it very fascinating. It is entitled, Gods in Spandex. You know, when one peels back the layers of the narrative surrounding death, God, the afterlife, the motive becomes pretty clear that the appeal of occultism really lies at the core. Occultism lies in mystery, in its broaching of the impossible, while anything that can be drawn on paper or even filmed for the big screen, we live in a world now where anything is possible as the occult pushes the limits of the physical, mental, and the spiritual. Commodification was not just thematic, but it's now reached a fevered pitch in recent history, really, when you look no further than the entertainment juggernaut that is the Harry Potter series, from which, of course, we know J.K. Rowling created a whopping $15 billion brand. Even in the mid-1900s, there was a burgeoning interest in the work of occultist luminaries such as Aleister Crowley, who founded the religion of Thelema. Gee, where have you heard that before? You guessed it. Marina Abramovich, remember? artist to the stars, remember spirit cooking? Yeah. Redefining what art is for 40 years. Oh yeah, she's been doing that all right. So again, Aleister Crowley, who founded the religion of Thelema, in fact, he was dubbed the wickedest man in the world. Some actually say he was the highest black ceremonial warlock on the planet. The Thelema pantheon includes a number of Egyptian deities, and it was said that Aleister Crowley actually believed he was the prophet of Horus. Remember the Eye of Horus? But more on that later. The bottom line here is the results make it clear that occultism, it's reached a peak level of cultural relevance. Of course, notably in recent pop culture, but how is this manifested in the world of superheroes? gods coming from other worlds, honored as divinity, personified as the saviors of humanity. Well, you see it on the big screen every weekend. In the past few years, of course, we see DC and Marvel characters come to life. Even the most recent Batman and Superman shared the screen. The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, 
Doctor Strange. We see this. Interesting side note, which I will get into later, is Marvel was actually bought out by Disney, acquired to the tune of $4.25 billion. The Magical Kingdom of Disney. You're right. Walt Disney was into magic. There's a clip in one of the Superman movies where Clark Kent, in response to someone asking him, who do you think you are, a savior? And he responds, every day I hear people crying for one. Mythological stories have been used as propaganda throughout the ages, really, to gain sympathy for political ideologies. These purposeful characters, well, they helped act as facilitators of civil and social justice, voices of liberation. It's fascinating that superhero mania gains increased popularity with every generation gaining momentum as one of the most powerful genres of storytelling. Let's face it, millions of adoring fans pour into theaters, escaping reality, infusing themselves into this mystical fantasy world of masked gods. And the amazing thing is how these inspirational lines are out of the Bible. And I will lay that out here. But are they borrowing their inspiration from the Bible? Or are they getting their inspiration from somewhere else? Somewhere far more insidious, more sinister? Are they borrowing their ideas from the devil himself? It seems to me that for such spiritual themes, could there be an agenda to replace the one true God with these replacement gods in spandex, perhaps? Think of the countless billions of dollars that are spent shaping the sanctity of childhood. You've got a 24-7 cornucopia of indulgence and delight, refashioning what was once considered youthful innocence, replacing that today with dehumanizing, overly commercialized malevolence. Movies are images on steroids, and it ties in with this culture that we have now. The CGI of today is unbelievable. Back to Walt Disney. Now, Walt Disney was a 33rd degree Mason. He used incredible subliminal messages in his cartoons, his movies, his advertising. And the themes of most of his movies tended to focus on the children and their parents. Ironically, most of the main characters being orphans never was pro-family. But Disney had an incredible interest in the occult. Look at Aunt LaVey said, people don't need to go to church anymore. They get their morality on television. Anton LaVey, as in the founder of the Church of Satan, the Satanic Bible, yeah, that, that's the fella. Steve Quayle wrote an incredible book where we get into Walt Disney quite a bit in that. And we talk about these themes, the little creatures, Mickey and the Sorcerer's Stone, Maleficent, little benevolent creatures, right? not. In the description, I've also linked Little Creatures, so do check that out because I do get into Walt Disney, which is a whole other show. I think that's the biggest deception of our era, the wonderful world of Disney, not. Again, it's always the seemingly benevolent guys, but it's very malevolent. Because after all, little elves, fairies, pixies, and imps, it's all really harmless fun. Devils and demons and fairies, you know, it's all it's all good, right? It's just stuff of folklore. But back to comics, do you know that comics became essential reading material for the GIs overseas? In fact, in the midst of the Great Depression, a new pastime 
sprung to life. The golden age of comics was kind of a new iconic obsession, the dawn of the Second World War. What did that bring? It brought fear and anxiety to the general public. So what were superheroes? Well, they provided comfort and escape. Again, they were essential reading material for the GIs overseas. In fact, Superman was one of the most notorious heroes. Why? Because he battled the villains that people feared most. The gangsters, the corrupt politicians, the fascist, tyrannical dictators. He was a mascot of the war effort like Captain America. Interesting with Captain America, what was he? Well, he was a super soldier. A genetically altered super soldier. Captain America, he's as America as Chevy pickups and apple pie, right? Not so much when you delve into Hydra. When you study out Operation Paperclip, the Nazi eugenic breeding program, Lebensborn, and you make all these connections, the parallels are stunning as you look through the comics. As they say in their Hail Hydra. In the 80s, it was the Batman hysteria. In the 90s, it was X-Men. And what were they? Genetically altered mutants. Kind of a transgenic mutant hybrid, if you will. In fact, in the X-Men, if you really get into it, it says they're children of the Adam and Homo superior, the next link in the chain of evolution. So it weaves in this unique genetic mutation that manifests itself in extraordinary powers, but it also ties into Darwinism. In fact, Stanley's X-Men is one of the most popular comic book series in history. And then it started to take a little dip in the late 90s, and just when you thought comics were going away to the dodo bird, 9-11 happened. September 11th, 2001, thrust us into an us-against-them scenario. The comic industry responded to that deep-seated need for something to save us from this faceless, nameless evil, and the terror-driven nation began to look at real-life tyrannical overlords in the comic book industry began to soar again. Because after all, it's superheroes that save you from the tyrannical powers that be. Superheroes save you from the ultimate foe, right? What's so bad about wanting a hero, needing a savior, good versus evil? Is there something wrong with paralleling the great controversy between Jesus and Satan? Or could these allegories actually be misleading counterfeits of the great true way of salvation and redemption? Subtly weaving characteristics of ancient gods, the return of the golden age godmen into every superhero, convincing the world, well, as I said on the show yesterday with L.A., that Satan is our hero. Satan as savior and subtly detouring the masses away from the truth. Is this damaging to your belief in the God of heaven? Well, let's take a look at the origins. Think about this. Every culture, they've had superheroes depicting the strongest and bravest heroes. We see it with David and Goliath. In fact, one of the earliest known tales was that of Gilgamesh. You see Sumerian tablets portraying stories of human-like gods. The hieroglyphs. These depictions are like comics carved into rocks. Oral traditions, painting stories, becoming the building blocks for elaborate tales of super gods and super stories. The ancient godmen. 
You could say comic books have been around for thousands of years. But who really gave mankind civilization? Where did these gods come from? Well, we certainly know the biblical account of a foreign race of beings, don't we? The 200 watches who came down to Mount Hermon and enslaved the human race. Those writings, they traveled to other parts of the world, including Egypt, and some of the fallen angel technologies, I call it, it wound up in other parts of the world. In fact, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs in ancient tombs can be seen as a precursor to modern comic books. You can bet those Egyptians worshipped a vast array of colorful gods. We just saw a movie on the big screen, in fact, not that long ago, in 2016, Gods of Egypt. Very interesting depiction. These ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses, the embodiment of the divine, really encapsulate universal aspects of individual human experiences. These archetypes and themes based on death, judgment, and the afterlife look no further than how they fashion the god Osiris. Now, interestingly, Osiris was the god of the dead, the lord, the ruler of the underworld, as well as being a god of the dead, Osiris was actually a god of resurrection and fertility. As most people know the story, Osiris was the brother and the husband of Isis and the brother of Nepheth and Set. He was also the father of Horus and Anubis. The oldest religious texts refer to Osiris as once possessing human form, and it's said that he lived on earth. And shortly after Osiris's return to Egypt, Set and other conspirators murdered him, and it was said that Set tore his body into 14 pieces and scattered those parts throughout Egypt. Well, what did Isis do? She gathered the 13 pieces, but one piece she wasn't able to recover, for it was said that it had been eaten by certain impious fishes. Well, take a guess at what that missing member was. But it was said that she gathered the pieces, the 13, rejoined them by magic, and sent the spirit of Osiris to pass into the Amenti to rule over the dead until the last great battle, when Horus would slay Seth. And of course, Osiris is said to return to the earth once more with the final piece of the puzzle, if you know what I mean. Well, Osiris's golden phallus, aka, well, we see the obelisks, right? Like as in Washington, D.C., those monuments, those are representations of a phallic symbol. Bale's shaft is another word. These high-level occult members, they actually believe that Osiris is going to rise from the dead and return to earth. And he's going to bring with him all those who had been his own faithful followers. Back to Aleister Crowley, interesting that he thought he was a prophet of Horus, the son of Osiris and Isis. And when you think of Washington and the founding fathers and sort of the obelisk being a representation of patriarchy, it kind of makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Washington being a master Freemason kind of became the cornerstone of American civilization. The Washington Monument was erected, of course, no pun intended, in his honor. You know, George Washington was not only the first president, but again, very high-level ranking Mason. And as everyone knows, of course, the Freemasons are shrouded in secrecy. But they are responsible for many structures, including the Washington Monument, 555-foot obelisk, 
There's some argument that it's actually 666 feet, but I believe it is on record that it's 555 feet. It's just interesting, the parallels between ancient Egypt and the architecture, these megalithic structures that were built with precision angles, angles that would make Newton salivate. And you also see that in parts of Peru, hard stone, the andesite, and it goes back to that question we've always said. Who moved all these megalithic structures across a river, up a hill? Who has the technology to move stones like that? But that's a whole other show. But if you want to read more on that, there's a really good book by Charles Berger called Our Phallic Heritage. And Dr. Kathy Burns actually makes some amazing Masonic and occult symbol connections. Of course, again, it goes back to the word obelisk, literally meaning Baal's shaft. Bale's organ of reproduction, tying back into Osiris's 14th part. And that obelisk is really important to Masons. And it really ties into the Masonic version of Egyptian mythology. It's behind all their rituals. Think about that. The obelisk being the architectural symbol of Osiris still in existence today. These people believe that every king is an incarnation of Osiris and Horus. That is the occult in its barest form. And this theme is very deeply rooted in the foundations of the secret orders. Of course, Satanism ties into Freemasonry and the cult and the Kabbalah, the Hellenistic mystery cults and the Masonic and Rosicrucian groups and initiary groups such as the Golden Dawn and the ancient mystic orders. These all tie in together. The early Greeks and Romans essentially worshipped the same pantheon as the Egyptians, Zeus, Poseidon, Hercules, Hades, these gods are just an integral part of every statue, every mural, every depiction, every parable and tale includes these Greek and Roman gods. The great titans, epic myths centered around the mighty warriors like Hector and Achilles. And very similar to the ancient Egyptians, each character is given a mastery over science or art or nature. And then they have icons and images that persist to this day. You know, I was watching a movie a couple of weeks ago, and it, the movie is called Immortals. And there's a scene where he says, imprisoned in the bowels of Tartarus. And there was the Clash of the Titans movie. And there's a, a little narration that says, when Titans ruled the earth, and it talked about Zeus becoming the king of heaven. It says, Zeus having created man, and then it got into, of course, Poseidon, king of the seas, and Hades, of course, the ruler of the underworld, which, very similar to Osiris, ruler of the underworld, ruler of the dead. It sounds like Hades is to the underworld as Osiris was. So you've got these movies like Clash of the Titans and Immortals, which are really twisting biblical salvation. And I thought it was so fascinating. It starts off saying, into the world, a child was born who would change everything. And they're introducing this character, Perseus. Salvation through a baby child. Hmm, sound familiar? You know what I found fascinating? And I think this is actually in Carl Darlingbuck's comparative grammar of Greek and Latin. Is the name Perseus in the Greek means, get this, to waste, ravage, and destroy. Sounds a whole lot like John 10.10, 10, doesn't it? The thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's pretty much the exact opposite of the Savior Jesus Christ, who 
says in the same verse, I'm come they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. What does the devil do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Or as the Perseus comparative grammar of Greek and Latin says, waste, ravage, and destroy. It's all the same thing. And it's so interesting how even there's a comic book series called The Titan's Hunt, the secret history of the Titans revealed. Robin, Wonder Girl, you've got Hawk and Dove and these other characters. And so these great superheroes tie in to the Titans and the ancient Egyptians. And you know what's amazing to me? Just side note, you see Egyptian symbology. It's in everything from Fortune 500 logos to these blockbuster movie characters to right smack in the back of the $1 bill. Coincidence or not? Look at Time Warner, Eye of Horus. AOL, Eye of Horus. The National Treasure, that movie, look at on that. You see the all-seeing eye, the back of the dollar bill again. Watchmen. I mean, just go Google some of the images with Eye of Horus. You'll be shocked. So not only does the world draw heavily on symbology from Egypt, but the comic book world draws heavily from Egyptology. Now, what's very fascinating when it comes to Superman, let's take a look at Superman. Well, he debuted in 1938, and gee, I wonder where the idea came from. Well, guess what's fascinating? Every single comic book creator was a high-level occultist, and they were into the Aldous Huxleys, the Aleister Crowleys, the Thelema. They were members of Thule, T-H-U-L-E. Look that up. Hitler was a member of Thule. In fact, Hitler talked a lot about Ubermann, Superman. Who were these Ubermen? Well, think about what Hitler wanted. Liebensborn, the Nazi breeding program. Operation Paperclip ties back into Hydra. Captain America, super soldier. And Steve Quayle noted this in his book, The Empire Beneath the Ice. There's an amazing section that gets into how Hitler was in direct contact with group of hybrid demonic entities. In fact, on record, Hitler came into contact with a group of entities these blue-eyed, Aryan-looking entities with super strength. They could blast energy lasers. They were like these men of steel, made of metallic. Boy, that sounds like a lot like the Silver Surfer, doesn't it, from the Fantastic Four. A lot of these comic book superheroes, if you look at their stylized iconography, too, on their suits, well, you'd be surprised about the symbols. But back to Nietzsche's Ubermensch, the Ubermensch, German for Superman, superhuman, human man. Well, it was actually a concept from Friedrich Nietzsche. And that was Nietzsche's actually ultimate goal, Ubermensch, Superman, Ubermann. So it's very easy to see how Nietzsche inspired Hitler and how they were both very much connected with the Thule Society. There's always one running theme through all of this. All these comic writers are in the occult. They practice high levels of witchcraft, the black arts. They're under demonic influence. You think Stan Lee got his ideas from some of these characters from just they popped into his head? No. Stan Lee was channeled. He admits that. There's every single comic developer, the creator of Superman, the creator of Spider-Man, the creator of Batman. You go look at their writings they all have a connection to Aleister Crowley. Isn't that fascinating? 
Look at Alice Bailey. She talked about being channeled by a demon. That's how she came up with the 24 volumes of the occult. Aunt LaVey, Aleister Crowley, this whole cast of characters, they all channel demons. And I find this really interesting. Grant Morrison, he's one of the leading comic book writers, Grant Morrison. In his book, Super Gods, Our World in the Age of the Superhero, he talks about his deep-level occultism. He is an occultist. You can just Google his name and the occult. Grant Morrison Occult Experience. Type that in. He talks about channeling demons to get these character ideas. His notable works, his creations are Batman, New X-Men, Fantastic Four, The Invisible, Spider-Man, Marvel Boy, Hellblazer, The Multiversity. I've talked about this on another show. Of course, Stan Lee, big creator for Marvel. He was a great acquaintance with Satanists. Aldous Huxley, who also, by the way, as I've mentioned this on air in the new Doctor Strange movie, he's doing a cameo and he is holding the book, Doors of Perception, Aldous Huxley. And it's interesting in that movie, when Doctor Strange goes in the library, he's looking for the Book of King Solomon and the Kabbalah. I mean, he's a high-level warlock in the movie. Again, you've got this connection to Huxley, to eugenics and witchcraft. And it's interesting if you really get into Batman, Spider-Man, Catwoman. There's little occult symbolism in almost every one of these things. And look at Spider-Man. He's a very popular Marvel character. And he's based upon a spider god of Egypt. You know, Stan Lee, again, clearly didn't come up with these ideas, but obviously he's plugged into the dark side. And Batman exemplifies the classic childhood end, you know, the bat, the horns, very ominous, the dark knight, really. Now, of course, Wonder Woman is, is DC, but her character is very Ravinia, very Aphrodite, the pagan myths, and she's called a goddess. These Amazonian warrior women, these high priestesses of witchcraft, they were really into pagan sorcery. There's characters that have been inspired by Shiva and Kali and a bunch of other Hindu gods and goddesses. So again, you have a real cornucopia of pagan occult witchcraft here that, you know, are fused into these characters. Stan Lee apparently forgot to tell his loyal fans that every one of his characters, they already existed throughout history. These are not original characters, Stan. Your characters are inspired from hell itself. And there's all these ancient Babylonian Egyptian symbolism and all these various comic books. You have them woven into the characters, even into the attire that they wear. These mythological creatures, these hybrid offspring of the fallen angels, straight from the pit of hell. Marvel, DC, Disney, these partnerships are formed out of the pit of hell itself. Again, every single storyline is very occult, especially Doctor Strange. You look at Thor, there we go into the Norse gods, it's all gods, godmen, the Valkyrie, really occult storylines here. And the Defenders and the Avengers, it sounds benevolent, they're going to help humanity's plight. And it's funny because they even use the technology of the fallen angels. I said a little while ago, the technology of the fallen. Well, guess what? The fallen angels, what they were skilled in, metallurgy. Metals are a theme to all of this too. Iron Man, Wolverine, adamantium. Again, metallurgy and the science and engineering of the physical and chemical behaviors of 
all these metallic elements, a silver surfer. These sort of intermetallic compounds, mixtures, alloys, alchemy. That really is also what Doctor Strange is in mind-bending, time-bending, bending space and time. Tony Stark, hey, this guy's a genius, remember? Iron Man, he's not actually made out of iron. He's honestly like a big billionaire playboy philanthropist with an unlimited R&D department. But again, mythology and occult. I talked about Thor, these Norse gods, Loki. Who was Thor's dad, after all? Odin, remember? Adapted from the Odin of Norse mythology, guess who? By Stanley and Jack Kirby. Thor, ascending to the throne of Asgard, made his debut. Marvel Comics, enter 1962. Who created him? Stanley. In Germanic mythology, Odin, don't forget he was revered as the god of war. The god of war and death. The god of battle. But he was also known as the god of sorcery. Interesting. And the other theme that's always woven through this again is the whole genetics, epigenetics, genetic splicing, eugenics. DNA is always woven into this. Look at Bruce Banner. Look at Spider-Man. Look at that black radioactive goo that the symbiote from another planet. Dr. Connors was studying genetics. Bruce Banner was studying genetics. Captain America was definitely a study of genetics. Dr. Strange studied genetics. What I find very interesting is that Dr. Strange in quite a few of the comics encounters this vastly powerful demon race led by the nameless one who had once dominated Earth. When you really get into the bowels of this, Dr. Strange is Aleister Crowley come to life. The point is, is all these comic writers, the whole Marvel world, the whole DC world, it's under demonic influence. And yet, again, our young people line up at the movie theaters and they will continue to do so in 2017 with all these new Marvel movies on the horizon. They're coming at us fast and furious. They're in the videos, they're in the comics, they're on the movie screen. You can do anything with CGI. Our generation now is very deceived. They're very plugged into this thing. And they're going to be just as easily deceived when Satan reveals himself as the cosmic Christ. Because indoctrination and mind control through these type of vehicles, it's ubiquitous. Remember, signs and wonders seduced even the elect. All these fictitious saviors, they're far from the benevolent heroes they paint them out to be. There's only one superhero that we should desire, folks, and he sits at the right hand of the living God. It is amazing how Satan is the ultimate deceiver. Satan's always been envious of God and his creation. In fact, so much so that in the ultimate form of egotistical self-exaltation, what did he do? He tried to take over God's throne. It was the ultimate coup d'etat that earned Satan a one-way ticket out of heaven and into hell as his final destination. So don't forget that the devil is, again, the ultimate counterfeiter. And what's he doing? Well, these kind of malevolent tactics are used by the devil to advance his evil end-time agenda on earth, sending his emissary, the Antichrist, to rule as a global dictator. And mankind has always been in Satan's crosshairs since the time Adam and Eve walked in the garden. 
He wants to take as many as he can into the lake of fire. But you know what the good news is? We have a superhero, and there's only one. A superhero and a super savior. And one day soon, we're going to see the return of our glorious king, Jesus Christ. The truth is, you know what? Unlike Oprah says, there's many ways. Jesus Christ is not a way. He is the only way. He's the only force that can stand against the force of evil. In conclusion, you know, all these forces of evil, well, guess who is the only source, the only force that can stand against the force of evil, that can protect us and guide us into God's kingdom? It's Jesus Christ. That's it. And all of the roads are dead ends. You need to be sure today that you are right with the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the tab for your eternal life. He took your sin, your penalty for sin, to the cross of Calvary. He paid the tab so you could have eternal life. God is a spirit. He had to come to earth as a man. So he emptied himself and he became Jesus Christ incarnate. It is all about what he did at that cross. And so if you are listening today and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you get a hold of me and I'll lead you in some next steps. The Bible says, seek God while he may be found. Jesus Christ is returning. Where do you stand? That's the only question you have to really grapple with today. Whose side are you on in this cosmic battle? So if you've not already given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's time that you do so. It's the most important decision you will ever make. And if you have not made that decision for Christ, do get a hold of me. So I hope you enjoyed this teaching today. Again, it's God's in Spandex. Please do like and share. And don't forget, we're giving away some signed books lots over the next couple of weeks. So do make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel. All you have to do is very simply right now, jump on over and bookmark my website, weekendvigilante.com. You can't miss the pink and you can't miss the social media icons like the Weekend Vigilante Facebook page, the Weekend Vigilante Twitter, and the Weekend Vigilante YouTube account. They're all there. Pastor John Charles joins me tomorrow. Thank you for tuning into the program tonight. Good night and God bless.